Amen. Amen. It's great to see you guys. Welcome to church. Um, if you're joining us out on the patio or online at home, uh, we are happy to have you with us this morning. And uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have the privilege of taking you guys through what we're calling the Fruits of the Spirit series on the third Sunday of each month. And um, I just I look forward every week, every month when I get to share with you guys and teach. Um, it was funny because this week, as I was kind of studying for this, I was going through some news articles, and I came across something that I always love. It always kind of cracks me up. Um, I love when you go through the news and you hear that they've released these polls, or stu- not really polls, but studies, scientific studies, and where they study something that you used to think was bad, and they actually find that it was now good for you, um, or vice versa, something that was good, and they actually found it was bad for you. This week, I kind of came across a number of food-related ones, and it just cracks me up every time. It's, uh, this is kind of how life is sometimes. Um, the first study I found was a group of people looking to kind of get more out of office employees. So they had a few different stimuluses they wanted to introduce to, to the office place, the workplace, and they wanted to know which stimulus would make people work a little bit harder at the end of the week. So the first stimulus they used were compliments from a boss, and they found people worked a little bit harder for that. The second one was a bonus at the end of the week that you'd get uh, about $30 extra in this workplace, um, and they worked a little bit harder for that. The third stimulus was time off, and I, I mean... I think like all of us, right? You would think that was a big... No, it wasn't the big one. The, the fourth one was the big one. They found people were 8% more productive if you offered them pizza at the end of the week <laughs> as opposed to money, time off, or just compliments from your boss. And I thought pizza at the end of the day, right? Our teenagers had it right. They're, they're more productive than us, I guess. Um, but another study I, found, I, I came across, this was a good one, especially for I'm, I'm entering this stage of my life, but uh, they, uh, researchers in Japan found that McDonald's french fries contain a chemical that cures baldness. <laughs> That's all kinds of creepy, right? But listen to this sentence. Scientists from Japan discovered a silicone used in McDonald's fry oil to prevent splashing. That's just wrong, isn't it? Right? It's a silicone used in fry oil that you're eating. Uh, they found that this particular silicone, when introduced to mice, created mass, uh, mass-produced fo- hair follicles on mice. So guys, you can, you've got a good argument for going and eating McDonald's. You may die early of obesity and cancer, but like, hey, you'll have hair. Um, so... Uh, and finally, my kids love this one, and I actually tried it out this morning. Um, a new uh, Tufts University study, uh, which ranked particular foods at different times of the day, uh, did a study, and they found that uh, eating ice cream is actually a better option for breakfast than having a multigrain bagel. My kids love to hear that. And then, uh, I mean, I don't know if I believe it, but this, uh, another study found that people who had consumed ice cream for breakfast showed a better reaction time and were able to process information better than those who did not have the ice cream. Further tests of brain activity also showed that people who had ice cream first thing in the morning had an increase in high-frequency alpha waves, which are associated with higher levels of alertness and can reduce mental irritation. I don't know. I had uh, mint chocolate ice cream before I came in first service, and I'm kind of crashing right now. I'm sorry, guys. But I love when we come across, and it's funny, you know, there's all kinds of things in the world that you always thought was bad for you, and then you end up finding out it's good, and, and vice versa. We always thought, remember, at one time in our nation's history, we thought cocaine was good to have in Coca-Cola, right? And there's, at one time, bear medicine created cough syrup um, with, <laughs> uh, they, they, they actually created bear medicine with heroin in it. 
And yeah, that took care of your cough, but created a whole other problem in life. And, and at one time in the 50s, doctors would, would, would often prescribe uh, for anxiety or for headaches, they'd prescribe cigarettes. And it's funny when I come across these things, and it's, it's, it happens all the time in life, where you actually thought something that was once good for you is actually bad, and vice versa. And, and I bring that up because that's kind of the nature of the topic we're studying today. It's a bit debatable at times. It's a bit all over the place on a deeper level. We're going to be talking about the fruit of goodness. And good at its core can be kind of a difficult thing to kind of wrap your head around. Some writers have found, some philosophers have found, it's been one of the hardest things to define in all history. It's almost easier to define what's not good than what goodness truly is. And goodness is something on a deeper, more philosophical level that I think we struggle with because everybody around us has a different sense of what's good, of what's right and what's best. And what might be good in some cases for some people, well, other people might, they might take that as a horrible evil. And so as we dive into the topic of goodness, I know it can be a little bit confusing on a, on a really deep level, but I want to kind of come to the point where we as Christians ask ourselves, what can I really expect a good life to look like? If I'm following God, if I'm doing what he says, what can I really expect a good life to look like? And so this morning I'm going to take you through three understandings of this fruit of the Spirit, of, of living a good life, I call it, the good life. Three understandings or three takeaways, and we'll, I'll put them up here on the screen and you can read them if you're more of a visual learner, but um, three takeaways and we'll dive into the scriptures together as we look at each one of these. Now the first one is this, in life, it's not all good, but God is. This is kind of a place I wanted to start because you kind of have to come to this basic understanding when it comes to good, bad, evil in this world. There's some people that kind of have that mentality that, man, everything's good. We have that old saying, right? It's all good, man. But in reality, it's not all good. I mean, life, there's real evil in it. And to deny that, to not have that understanding, is to deny a basic understanding of reality in this world. It's not perfectly good, and people are not perfectly good. Right? And, and, and it kind of leads to the tricky idea that um, if we're all honest, in the history of this world, there's been a lot of evil done in the name of good. Some of the most evil people who've done the most wicked things thought they were doing good for their people, for themselves, and in their place. So uh, from Saddam Hussein and to, to Hitler to Thanos, right? they all thought they were doing good, but in reality it ended up being evil. And um, if you come to that understanding, it kind of makes you have to ask, what then is good? I mean, what's good? What's a definition of good? Well, as we turn to Galatians chapter 5 as we were there... Um, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And he, he mentions that same word again over in Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. He says the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That word there for good is kind of a, just a simple term. Agathosune. It's a, it's a term that just meant moral excellence or uprightness in heart and life. And kind of the idea, the, the reference there is that, look, when we say moral uprightness, moral goodness... It doesn't mean that morals or rules define good, right? Morals and rules, if you kind of look at it that way, morals and rules just simply help us to establish um, or protect good and to hopefully make life around us flourish, to keep us from doing evil. You see, in a perfectly good world with perfectly good people, we don't need rules all around us. But in reality, you look at our world, it's like every day that penal code book gets thicker and thicker and thicker because in reality, we're trying to kind of keep people from doing more evil. 
And evil in the end is just spoiled goodness. It's, it's something. So behind all that lies true good. Because good in the end is ultimately this idea, what Paul kind of says when they use this word. It's this idea that it's the choices you make that make life flourish. That bring about the best in life. And then you, you kind of get that understanding. You have to then go, well, who gets to decide what makes life flourish? I mean, how do we then understand who says this is good? Who's the absolute? What's the thermometer for good in this world? This is where we as Christians have something special that the rest of the world doesn't have, right? Most of the people are trying to sort out what's good based on what they feel at times, based on maybe what our government says is good or right, or what laws or rules are written, or based on what people protest. I mean, there's no, there's no short, end list or short list for the amount of things people think are good that might actually not be good. So how do we ultimately know? Well, we as Christians have something different than they do. We have a standard. This is where I want to jump into the scriptures. Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, flip open there real quick. This is a story that, Jesus, uh, that Pastor Dave has talked about as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, but Mark also picks up. And it was a great story, a great um, encounter that Jesus had with a rich young ruler. And in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, the first 17 and 18 say this, Now as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Now a lot of times we kind of read that and we, we kind of just, uh, we take it at surface value I think here. We don't really understand that Jesus is going to go on and really un- unfold this. And there's a good point to be made that Jesus is saying, Hey look, you're calling me good, only God is good. And people just go, well he's just claiming to be God himself. That's a good point. It's a good reference point. But it's actually not the point of what Jesus was about to teach. Jesus' first point is, look, you're calling me good. Do you really understand what good is? Do you really understand, as he's going about to take this guy through an idea of what good really is, do you really understand who alone is good? Look at what he says next. He t- turns to this rich young ruler and he says, hey, look, in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, then he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. This guy looks at him and Jesus goes, Hey, look, have you kept all the rules? Have you done the things that you know you need to do as a good Jew? And he goes, Yeah, I've kept everything since I was young. Essentially, he's saying, Look, yeah, I'm good. Jesus, I'm good. I do all the good things. You see, this guy doesn't really get it. He doesn't get the point that Jesus has just made. Only God is truly good. He's not really being honest about himself and about what goodness really is. Sadly, he's kind of naive in a way that he thinks he's kept all the rules and that he's good. You've probably come across people like this, and maybe you were like this before you even came to know God. You just thought that, you know what, if I live a good life, then one day I'll get to heaven and God will be like, you know what, the cup was a little more full of goodness than, than badness you're in. Because that's kind of a misunderstanding of what good really is. There's no way that you can just say, I'm a little more good than bad. Because don't you understand good is this whole concept? It's, it's, it's what describes God. It's the premise here that Jesus is saying, look, religion and all the rules that you have are supposed to kind of ultimately point out that you're not really that good. Yeah, I've kept them, I've done everything, well, I'm good. And Jesus would say, no, you're not getting it, man. You're not getting at all these rules and laws, and Paul would repeat this later on. They ultimately point out the fact that at the core of you, 
you're not as good as you think you are. It's not to deny that we don't do good things sometimes. Definitely. We all do good things sometimes. But what Jesus is saying is no good is really something different than you understand. As he takes them on here, he goes, no one is truly good but God. Those rules exist to kind of point out that even on our best day, it's not us who are truly good, it's God. You see, if you miss that, you misunderstand God. To say that only God is good is to recognize that God is the sum total of all perfection. Right? That God does not lack anything. And that there are no defects or contradictions in him. That you can't add to God's nature to make him any better. God is perfectly good. And when we recognize that, we recognize, look, at the same time we do good things in this world, but at the core of who we are, no, only God is perfectly good. There is a standard that only God is capable and worthy of setting for our lives as far as goodness goes. And there's no one good, who's, uh, no one good but God. To prove this, Jesus goes on with this guy. You think you're good? And look at what he points out in verse, uh, in verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, he loved him. I love this, because he's about to say something to him that's pretty harsh, but he loves him. And he says to him, one thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Right? Jesus goes, okay, you think you're good? All right, just, just do one thing for me. You got one more thing to go. Here, sell everything you have. Give it away to the poor. Join me. Take up your cross. It's going to be hard. But then you're truly good. And it's when this guy hears this that he walks away sad. He's like, oh man, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. Maybe when it comes to the end of the day, I kept a few rules. I did a few good things here and there. I, you know, but man, what is good? Oh, I'm not that good. This guy walks away all bummed out because he realized, man, that standard of goodness that I thought I was, that's not me. And Jesus' point here was to point out, look, there's no one good but God. You're missing it if you think that I just do a few good things in this world. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. There is a standard beyond what you can expect. And this is kind of what we have to, we have to start with here. There's only one who's truly good, and that's God. We might do good things, and there is good in this world, and people do good things. We're all drawn to it. But the real standard for good, it starts and it ends with God. And that ultimately frees us up to understand who we truly are. We're sinners. We're all people who drop the ball. We all make mistakes. I'm not truly good at the core of me, but God is. It leads me to understand that I have a need for God. As Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, where we're kind of drawing our, our series from, he would say, look, the flesh inside of us, this part of us that's connected to this world, it wars against the spirit. It wants to do often the opposite of what God wants. And we have this battle, we have this war going on inside of each and every one of us. It's the flesh versus the spirit. And he'd say, you have to recognize that you've got this part of you that's flawed. As Isaiah would say in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 6, he'd say, all we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned every one to his own way. Isaiah also says over in chapter uh, 64, verse 6, he says, our righteous deeds before God are like filthy rags in his sight. It's like, you've got to understand this. This, is, this, is, this isn't to make you feel like nothing. It's to help you to understand, look, at the core of who each and every one of us are, there's a real problem. Sometimes 
Evil is a part of who I am. And I have to recognize that before I even come to God because God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe me based on what I do in this world, based on the good things I have done. God doesn't owe me heaven or anything like that. There's only one who's perfectly good, and that's God. And that's the standard of goodness that we start with in this world. As I said, look, it's not all good, but God is. And that's the good part of this, right? As flawed as we are, as messed up as we are, the Bible is abundantly clear that it is God who is truly good. Right? I love Psalm 107, uh, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. My favorite psalm, Psalm 34, uh, in verse 8, it says, David, as he's writing, invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's like we're, in our, we're invited to come into this and know and to see that God is good. James, over in the New Testament, in verse, uh, James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It's like, look, God is perfectly good. There's no shadow in him. There's no deviousness. There's no selfishness. There's no, he gives good gifts to us, and that's his nature. And ultimately, because of God's goodness, the very end of the day, we have the gospel, what we call the good news. I love that. That God would say, I'm so good that, look, I'm going to send my my only begotten son to die for you. If you're willing to acknowledge that you need that help, that you have that problem in you, he's died for your sins. He's taken on your sin, your selfishness, all the misdeeds, all the problems you have in your life. He's taken that on in his goodness on the cross because of his great love for us. So ultimately, yes, it's not all good in this world, but God is. Right? The real standard of goodness starts with God and it ends with God. Kind of leads us to my second point about goodness. Um, Number two, you were created to live a good life. You have the capacity now to do that if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. Yes, we could all do good before, but we're all guessing as to which good is really good. Now, as you understand the gospel, as God's now working in your life, good becomes a part of your nature becomes a part of you who walks with God. And the way it kind of, I mean, for us, most of us, we're really good with point one, right? We all can kind of recognize that I'm a sinner and I make mistakes. We all can recognize that there's no one good but God. We all are good at recognizing that, yeah, we need the gospel because of that. And we tend to kind of stop short sometimes there and just be like, you know what? I've accepted Jesus. I've got my golden ticket. You know, I'm Willy Wonka to Willy Wonka's factory. I'm ready to go in. I can go to heaven one day. And we kind of just stop there. But understand this, that's not the full picture of why God is doing this and why he sent his son. He wants to work out now that goodness in your life. You were created to live a good life. Flip over with me really quickly to Titus chapter 2. You can just keep going in the right in your Bibles. To Titus chapter 2. Titus is a short little book, so much good gem uh, type teaching in there. Um, But in the middle of the book, as Paul is writing to Titus... He kind of lays out the gospel in verse 11, 12, and 13. And I love this. He says to, uh, to young Titus, Hey, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sorry, all that ice cream. 
dried me out. <laughs> Paul goes, hey, look, you've seen the gospel. It's appeared to us. You guys have understood that you've got that, and it's taught you that you need to deny the junk, the flesh, as we would say from over in Galatians chapter 5, ungodly things in this world, and to, to follow after godly things. We all kind of get that. We're like, yes, that's us. And he goes, it's, it's the work, in, in, in verse 13, he says, it's the work he's doing in you to help you to look and keep your eyes on the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like your eyes are on the Lord as you move on, you go through this world. You've, you've seen the gospel, you've accepted it, you've learned what you should do, and now your eyes are on the Lord. And I love what he goes on to in verse 14. He says this, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I love that. He goes, look, understand why he's done all this. He wanted to create a special people for himself. And you are that people. He wanted you in. You've accepted the gospel. You're a part of his family. And he goes, he wanted to create a special people, purified for himself, that they would be zealous for good works. I love that. That word zealous is such a cool word. It's a word that means to, the root of that word, it means to boil up, to be hot over something. It's like, I know you guys, I know we're all zealous about a lot of different things, right? You've got your favorite sports team. We've all got our politics. I could say like one political thing in this room and I know it's going to fire up some people over. I could fire people up really quickly to be zealous over our families, our kids, our this, that, and the other. We're zealous about a lot of the things in life that are important to us, that our eyes are on that we take pride in, that we take, have possession of. And he goes, I, I want you to live that way with the gospel, with your eyes on Jesus. And he goes, and when your eyes are on him and you're living in that way, he goes, you're going to be zealous to do good in this world. He goes, that's the natural outcome of having a relationship where your eyes are focused on the Lord and they're not focused on the things around you. Where your eyes are set first on Jesus and you're following him and that's the hope of your heart and of your life. He goes, that zealousness is what I want in you, but to do good in this world. When he says do work, do good works, he's saying, look, I want you to bring God's good, that standard of good, into this world. I want you to reflect the good God who loves you and gave his life for you in this world. That's why I'm doing this in you. Paul echoes this over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Or, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? The very natural outcome of walking in the Spirit, having our eyes set on the Lord, trying to follow after him in our life, is that we would be doing his good in this world. A life... Seeking to follow God is simply a life that, in the end, is producing good. I love it. It was Mother Teresa who said, when someone asked Mother Teresa, um, how did you receive your call to serve the poor? And she answered and said, my call is not to serve the poor. My call is to follow Jesus. And I have followed him to the poor. It's such an important way to look at it. Look, your call, my call, is to set our eyes on our Lord and Savior. To keep him as our focus in this life. And he goes, and and what Mother Teresa would echo here is that, look, as you do that, you're going to have those opportunities. You're going to follow him. That's God's heart that you're now going to be reflecting in this world. Good becomes the outcome of that. You see, your life, my life, it has a purpose to it. And choosing to follow God and truly walk after him, it's also a choice 
to reflect that God in this world. You're no longer just a person in the pew you're, who's, who's joined the team. You're no longer on the bench. You're, you're in the game. The Lord looks at you and he's like, you're in. Go, do good. Take me, the, the God you know, the God who loves you, the God who died for you, the God who's constantly doing good in your life, and go out and reflect that to others. Make life flourish wherever you go. Jesus said this over in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And that's the core of it. The question for us doesn't become, well, what can I do to please God? It's no. It's, you know what? God is so good. What can I do to reflect God? What can I do to take that good and to share it with others? What do I get to do today, Lord? In what ways can I make decisions that are going to reflect that goodness, make life flourish? Am I willing to share what I have with others? Am I willing to go the extra mile? Am I willing to do something for someone that I wouldn't normally do for them? Am I willing to to take of my time? Am I willing to take of who I am and say, you know what, God, this is what you do, so I'm going to let it go for others? Or are my eyes focused on myself and my life and my problems and my things? Because if that's the focus, you're missing out on your purpose. You're missing out on so much of what God wants to do in your life through you. So look, we're called. Second one, you were created, called to live a good life. That means in your decisions, in your behaviors, in your job, in your finances, in your family, in your communities. Every place we go. And look, I know that this is not the focus of the world. Most people are focused on how can I have good for myself. It's an internal focus with good. I want good for me. I want to be happy now. And that's the focus of most people. And because of that, in a world where we live with people like that, it becomes difficult at times to kind of navigate different relationships and situations. We come across people who are selfish, who are rude, who are mean. And this kind of leads to our third point kind of a a real practical level. Um, The third point is this this morning. Good still wins the day. Good still wins the day. And this is is an important point to me because the Lord spoke a lot to me as I went through this. Over in Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can flip uh, back to the left. Um, Romans chapter 12. Um, The book of Romans is a, a great treaty on on the gospel and our need for it. And Paul has kind of laid that out in the first nine chapters. And in chapter 12, he kind of turns to kind of the practical life now that we as Christians live with the gospel. And in chapter 12, he kind of leads us to this point of relating to each other and how we deal with each other and how we navigate tricky relationships. And I love what he says. I'll I'll just read you two verses from this little section. But in verse 19, Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather... Give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul in this section is kind of dealing with a typical way that as we deal with different situations in this world, as we deal with different people, we might naturally respond to them. He goes, look, at the end of the day, you need to understand one thing. He starts in verse 19, he goes, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I know this is a hard one. This is a hard one for me because I think I'm the. I think sometimes I'd be a better judge than God. I think sometimes that I know what how things should work out, how God should do things in other people's. I, I when I, I hate this feeling in me when I see someone pulled over on the side of the road and I look at them like, well, oh, good, you're probably speeding. You know, you deserve it. And it's like we all have that kind of natural thing where we're like, good, I'm glad to see people get what they deserve. 
I don't always do that. I'm just saying, like, and then as I speed by, you know. Um, and that's kind of my problem, is that I'm, I'm, I'm a hypocrite in most places, and, and I'm not the best judge. And God knows that, and he goes, look, I want you to start the day, I want you to start your relationships knowing this. I'm a better judge than you are. <laughs> At the end of the day, vengeance is mine. I will make sure all the scales are balanced. I will make sure everything's fair and just in the end. It's not necessarily your job on an everyday personal level with people to make sure they know what they ought to know, to make sure they're a little more humble than they are, to put people in their place, to let people know. And he goes on, he goes, look, you got to start the day and you got to understand this in these, these personal relationships we all have with friends, with family, with everything. It's so natural for us to want to just judge. It's so natural for us to want to just put people in their place. And he goes, you, I know I'm a horrible judge of these kinds of things. I'm always misjudging people and thinking people are where they're at. And then I find out their backstory. I find out what's going on. And I'm like, oh, man, what a jerk. I mean, I remember, and just to illustrate this, I remember a few years ago when I was in better shape, I was swimming. And, um, and I was doing laps in the pool at the YMCA. And a guy jumps in next to me. And, of course, you know, we're, like, going the same speed. And I'm looking next to me, and so I'm swimming a little faster than him because now it becomes this competition. Me and this guy, we're going side by side. And I would pull ahead, and he would pull up next to me and pulling and pulling. And, and uh, finally, I'm like, okay, I'm counting the laps. And I'm like, okay, we're getting close to a couple thousand meters here. Like, we should be good. I'm going to call it quits here. And so I'm pushing. I'm like, he's got to be on the same count as me. We've got to be. So I push, and I finally get ahead of this guy just enough to, like, get to the end of the pool. And I get up, and I get out of the pool, and I'm kind of just standing over, you know, like flexing, like, like I was buff or something, but like I'm flexing and I, and then this guy pulls up and he kind of shimmies out of the water and I look at him and he's only got one leg and I'm like standing up here flexing over him, like acting like I'm a big deal. And I go, man, this guy only had one leg and he was almost smoking me in the pool this whole time. I go, what a horrible judge of competition I was like, and I feel like in sometimes in life, that's, you know, I know it's a, a weird picture illustration. I feel like that's sometimes how all of us are, though. Like when we judge other people or we look at other situations and we want to be like, you know what, I think this is fair. I think this is even. And in reality, we have no idea what other people are going through. We have a very faulty sense of good and bad sometimes based on our own flesh in us. And God goes, will you let me take care of that? And he goes, I've got it. I know. I know how unfair this might be. I know how big of a jerk this person might be. Just know that in the end, I see it all. I see the one leg and I see the two. <laughs> I see the pool from the, from, the, you know, from the overall perspective of things. And he goes on to say in verse 21, he goes, look, understand this. You're never going to overcome evil with evil. It's just not the way it happens. Overcome evil with good. Because there's something bigger going on here, and you're never going to you're never going to win the day by taking on the same personality and mindset that the other person has. You might have someone there that's arguing with you. You might have someone there that's a jerk. You might have that family member that every time he goes, he goes, look, understand this. It's good in the end that wins the day. You know, there are those people that just have that sense of drawing out the worst in you. Like, you know those people, right? And they just turn you, when you're, in, when you're around them or that situation or that environment, it just turns you into something you don't want to be. Right? We all have those things. I know for me, for me, it's my neighbor Ronnie. It's not his real name, but um, I'm just going to give you the name Ronnie. My neighbor Ronnie, man, he moved into the neighborhood like six or seven years ago. And God bless his heart, um, 
everything he thinks is good is, is to me, it's evil. He's like, he's a junk collector. He, um, he's a self-proclaimed dumpster diver. So that means he goes through all the people in the neighborhood's trash cans and takes stuff out. And then that's all he does for a living. He doesn't work. He just goes through people's trash. I mean, the first time we met him, he was going through our trash and pulling out a blender. My wife walked outside and she's like, what are you doing? Like, we don't do that. Like, and so this guy, this guy, he just, he collects and he collects and he collects. Kids are afraid to walk by our house because he's got like broken ovens in the front yard. It's like, you can't walk by on the sidewalk. There's, he's collected now. I counted last time. I think there's like, at the worst time it was, it was like nine different cars that have taken up parking spots all along our neighborhood. And he has all his old friends from his past life of crime and drugs who park and they, they sleep in front of the house in their cars. And it's, it's a real nightmare. And we've, we've gone to him a million times. And we've been like, Ronnie, come on, man. You've got to clean it up. Don't throw your cigarettes in our yard. Like, and he, oh, I'm so sorry. And he never changes. He never changes. It's always the same. And, and we've called the city. We've tried to get, like, we've made complaints and, and ordinances and code violations. But they never do anything. And, and we don't have an association. So here's a, you know. Here's a lesson for you. Um, and so, just the other day, I was walking. I went for a walk around my neighborhood. I'm going by all these cars, and I'm just, oh, gosh, what do I do? And I started thinking, what do I do to get rid of Ronnie? Like, what, <laughs> what could I do? Like, it's, it's a bad thought, I know. And my wife thinks I shouldn't share this story, so I'm sorry. Um, so I'm walking in front of my house, and, and where he parks all his cars, you know, we can never have people over or anything like that. Where he parks all his cars, there's this big hill. And up on top of the hill, there's a walking trail. So I'm walking up on the walking trail, and I'm just pondering in my mind, what can I do? And at the edge of the walking trail, leading down to his cars, I see this kind of bowling ball-sized rock there. And it's right teetering on the edge. And I had the idea. I was like, you know, a few of these into the sides of his car, he's going to have to park somewhere else. I'm Oops, sorry. All I have to do is just tap it. And he's going to think it's nature. He's going to think it's rocks coming down the hill, right? Here I am, like a pastor up on this hill, like thinking of how I can destroy property and, and break this guy's windows. And I'm like, you know, he's going to at least, at least it takes care of part of my problem. If I start rolling these boulders down the hill, it's going to damage his car so bad that he's going to have to go park somewhere else. And at least my kids won't be slipping in his car grease in front of the house, like, and I can have people over for Thanksgiving. And I'm up there, like, debating this. Like, literally destroying property. And I realized this moment of clarity came, and I'm like, right now, if I did this, I am like ten times worse than Ronnie ever was. I mean, here's this poor old guy who's, you know, he's, where he's at in life is because, you know, there's some bad choices made along the way for sure, but he's come from a different place than I have. He's come from a place where that was normal, to have a hundred cars in your yard, and you've all seen those junkyard shows or whatever. Um, but look... I stood up there and I go, if I rolled this rock down, I'm instantly 10 times worse than Ronnie. I'm instantly someone, I, I'm like, I'm like who, do I, who am I right now? I'm like mischievous, like throwing rocks, spray painting things. Like, like, what can I do to get this guy out here? And I realized this is kind of what happens when you fight evil with evil. When you fight annoying with annoying. When you fight bad with bad. It's like suddenly you become what you don't want to be. Suddenly you become what God hasn't... Now, I didn't roll this down the hill, okay? Just so you guys know. I remembered this scripture and I was sitting up there and so I gritted my teeth and I came to the conclusion that every time I see these annoying cars, I'm praying for this guy. And every time I'm outside and I smell the smoke of his cigarettes, you know, puffing into my windows and all that, it happens, right? We've all got bad neighbors and we've all got Ronnies. But I'm going to just be nice to him and I'm going to be kind to him. I'm going to wait for God to move that problem along because in the end... It wouldn't help if I just got Ronnie to change his behavior or attitude. You know what's truly going to change Ronnie is God's goodness. 
when he realizes how much God loves him, how much grace God has for him. And that's never going to come about if I'm up on my hill bowling down at his cars with boulders from the top of the hill. It's never going to come about. That if anything, he's going to see, he's going to hear my message and just be like, God, God, you're a horrible representation of God. And that, in the end, is kind of Paul's point. He's like, look, you can't fight evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. Bless those, Jesus would say, who persecute you and spitefully treat you. Because at the end of the day, that's what he's done for us. That's how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, took on the evil in this world. Through self-sacrifice, through love, through the giving of himself on the cross. And at the end of the day, this point is here, good still wins the day. I love what the old preacher Charles Spurgeon said. He said, of two evils, choose neither. It's so true. Sometimes we think we have to fight back the way people are treating us. We have to treat evil with evil. And, and the point that Paul is making here is, look, good, good is what God wants to do with you. Keep your eyes on your Savior and do good to others. I know, and, and there's multiple times where it's hard, where we wear out, but there's multiple times where Paul says, do not grow weary of doing good. Because I know at the end of the day, it's hard. It's tough to deal with the same family members, the same Ronnies in your life time and time again. But often the good that you're doing in life starts with the good in you. Starts with what God wants to change and do in you. And that overflows and blesses others. It really does. So as we close here, just three quick points about living the good life. One, number one, let me go back here, sorry. (laughs) It's not all good, but God is. We have a problem in each and every one of us. We're not all perfectly good. But that's okay because God is. And God loves us, and he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for us and to meet us in the problems and in the despair that we're in because of our sin. And God is good. He died for you on the cross, and he loves you. And we start with that goodness, and that's what now begins to change our life as we do good for others. Number two, you were created to live a good life. As Paul tells us, look, keep your eyes on your Lord and Savior Jesus. And the very natural outcome of having your hope in him Your eyes on the Lord, walking in the Spirit, is now you're going to bring God's goodness to this world. So what good things can you do for others? What good ways can you make this world a better place than when you woke up this morning? That's what he wants us focused on. Number three, good still wins the day. We've all got Ronnie's. We all feel like rolling those boulders down the hill sometimes, but that's not what overcomes evil. It's good in the end. Just like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ modeled for us on the cross, it's good in the end that overcomes evil. So follow that model. Don't grow weary in doing good and and take up your cross and follow him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so very much for how good you are to all of us. We wouldn't be here celebrating you, singing to you, listening to your word if it wasn't for your goodness and your mercy and your love for us. So thank you. Thank you that in our despair and in our sin, through the cross of Jesus Christ, the love and the goodness of God displayed for us on that cross. Thank you that you've taken all of our our shortcomings, all of our problems, all of our sins, and you've exchanged them for a righteous standing in Jesus, for a hope for the future. And not just that, but you've come inside of us, and you now, the standard of good, is living and dwelling in each and every one of us, leading us to do good in this world. 
Help us to find the ways this week that we can make a difference in the lives of people around us, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, everywhere we go. Help us to reflect that good and loving God that you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.